when those things are combined, so product and growth marketing, and um, there is a focus on one metric at a time, I think that's when magic happens. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast. Now, if you're used to listening to the show, you might be a little surprised to hear how it sounds. That is because I'm Reda, a content marketer at Advance B2B, and I will be co-hosting the show with my growth marketer colleague, Seiya. Hello, everyone. For this episode, we invited Jesus Requena, Vice President of Growth Marketing at Figma. Jesus has been in SaaS world for quite some time and he had many golden nuggets to share on user activation and the role of data in it. Um, I think my favorite part of the episode was exploring the role of data in general. Now, having access to it is one thing, but understanding and using it right is something entirely different. And Jesus had some really concrete examples on how you can utilize your data to activate your users. Absolutely. And as for me, I love the concrete examples on how you can go about learning more from and about your customers and getting that data. Everything from bribing the data analyst with cake to actually talking to your customers. So here we go for episode 85 of the Growth Hub podcast with Jesus Requena, Vice President of Growth Marketing at Figma. Welcome to the show, Jesus. So how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Early morning here in San Francisco. How are you guys doing? Oh, well, we're pretty good. It's pitch dark here in Helsinki. Yeah. Uh, Say is a bit of a liar. We're exhausted, both of us, but it's okay. <laughs> we're really looking forward to talking to you. Yes, so we are. you are our a big moment of the day. So would you mind telling us a bit about who you are, where do you come from, and how did you get where you are right now? Yeah, of course. I'm Jesus, the VP of Growth Marketing at Figma. And I've been, um, I'm located in San Francisco, California, and I've been here for around four years. Um, and prior to that, I was in um, Denmark working for a couple of startups. One of them was Unity, who brought me here to the US. Um, so I've been six years working in sort of the SaaS, bottoms up, user centric um, companies. Prior to that, I was in a bunch of um, other SaaS companies and I work in a agency as well, where I met Seja, actually. Yes. <laughs> That's our common... Um, <laughs> that common... was lovely time. <laughs> exactly. That was back in Australia. So that was great times. Um, yeah. And I've been um, really into tech and SaaS for a very, very long time. Um, I have a passion for technology and creators in particular. And that's why I work at companies like um, Unity or Figma. Yeah. yeah, and that, that background that you just went through is exactly the reason why we wanted to have you on the podcast. Exactly. So thanks for thanks for giving us your time. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned that obviously, uh, well, SaaS is really close to you, but so is the product-led growth. And you, you could, I could describe you as the um, product, product-led growth enthusiast. Um, is that true? And what makes you so interested in it? That's right. I do. I do have a passion for um, bottoms-up, um, user-centric companies. Lately, there's a term called product-led growth, but this has been around for a while. Um, in fact, back in 2014, 16, we were doing all this t- 
type of stuff. I think OpenView partners help a lot in crystallizing the term, what it means and what companies are doing around this. But um, I guess I'm passionate because a um, couple of things. One, it, it focuses on the value of the product. Mm -hmm. So companies mm -hmm. are trying to demonstrate the value of the product to the user in a seamless, frictionless experience. So how can we get users to use the product and then get value out of it? And then they will become paying customers and they mm -hmm. can upgrade and expand from there. So I think it's, I think that's really interesting how going down into, hey, let's demonstrate the, the value as fast as possible. Uh, that's really interesting. And then the mix of, to do that, the mix of technology in the process of doing that. There's a lot of technology behind um, product data, you know, product telemetry to the user, mm -hmm. user behavior, understanding where the user is coming from, how they activate, what are the paths to activation or conversion to pay. So I think the mix between user centricity, um, technology is really technology heavy. You want to do it correctly. Um, I think it, it's a sweet spot for me. Um, I come from a technology background, so I really like that. Um, so I have enjoyed a lot in the last six years um, doing that because of those two reasons. Um, and I think at some point I sort of got a passion for it. Yeah. And it shows, obviously. Uh, a lot of the topics that you just mentioned, especially user activation, we're going to talk a bit more about uh, further on in the episode. but. Uh, we just want to take a little deeper dive into PLG or product-led growth, as, as we already mentioned. So you said that uh, PLG is not, it's not a new term, obviously, and we know that mm -hmm. um, product-led growth has been talked about even in this podcast before. Uh, but for us, it seems like it's kind of kicking off or has been kicking off more and more in the past few years. And it's almost becoming a thing and more and more companies are talking about it and they want to move. Buzzword. Yeah. And they, mm. and even our clients are starting to talk more about it and want to move towards it. So what do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think that product led growth is becoming a thing nowadays? That's a really good observation. Um, it is, true that it is on fire lately. There's a lot of content mm. around it, right? Um, as I mentioned, I, I we started doing this thing called growth. Um, I think it was back in 2016 when I started at Unity. Um, the whole premise of it was, can we get more users to become active? So when I joined Unity, we had a really uh, wide funnel. Unity was a free tool. In fact, it was free the entire thing so you could you have all the features that you could have with a paying tier with the exception of some additional services and so on and then it became <clears throat> better over time but unity was a remarkable free tool and our whole obsession was could we get more users to use the product so to do something to build something a unity in the first few weeks so they can get um the value from it and then they can go from there um so most of the things that we were doing back then that we just call it growth, like <laughs> user journeys activation, uh, using templates to activate users, education in the onboarding when they got stuck into some place, um, paywall, um, paywalls across the, the product to uh, upgrade them. Um, 
all of that, there's people recently that OpenView partners I mentioned are, have done a great job documenting a lot of the stuff. Wes mm. leads probably growth too. They've done a terrific job. They had a few books. Um, just educating the mass market and they can, I, mean, I think the term solidified. I think the term has been around for a while, probably since 2015 or mm -hmm. so that I can yeah. recall. Um, but it's in the last three years or so that it's been pretty booming. So I think you asked me, what is is what is the thing about product growth? I think it's really relevant because um, there's already enough data um, that shows, indicates that um, it has great economies for scale. So the motion yeah. of having users to try your product for free, so having a freemium tier to some degree, and then getting users to try the product, get value as fast as possible, and then upgrade, it's a fantastic um, motion to grow your business with you know low cost per acquisition, and it's a great um, way to attract users without having to spend too much for the users. So in, in compared with other traditional ways to grow your business like sales-led, motion so meaning yeah classic demo request and then a team has to show you the product so <clears throat> there's great companies out there like grammarly you probably have used grammarly yeah um, we use it right? yep. <laughs> or canva they masters in figma um, to a master in let's get the users to, to try it and then they love it and then they they will upgrade themselves so with a yeah. little bit of help right I actually love that what you said there, you know, uh, PLG, we just called it growth. <laughs> I yeah. think that's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. like, that, that's what it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what it essentially is. So um, regarding this uh, product-led growth, how do you see the growth marketing in it? That's a great question. Um, normally, and this is different in different companies, but um, the core thing about product-led growth is that you want to have a part of your engineering group in the product dedicated to growing your users. So that is like, you want to have a part of engineering team dedicated to understanding from sign up to expansion, what are the key moments where users are failing and how can we optimize that? So that's the secret source. Mm. Um, meaning um, you want to have engineers looking at, okay, a user doesn't do this action and it's really important for us to realize value what do we need to do in the product to give them a notch or to improve the experience? Mm. Uh, and then on the way to where do we place the paywalls? How do we upgrade users? Yada, yada, yada. And we can go in, in details in that. So growth marketing originally was doing a lot of things outside of the product. So in some companies, growth is combined. Growth marketing and growth engineers are all combined. There's a lot of companies out there doing that. In some companies are um, separated. So your growth marketing might be in the marketing under the CM, CMO, the CRO, the chief customer officer. And then you have the product under the um, CPO. It doesn't really matter. I think what it matters is that you have a team dedicated to in product and asset of the product, helping users to realize the value and then upgrade and then expand. So mm -hmm. what is the role of growth marketing in all of this? I think it's an important role because um, even though majority of the conversion might happen in the product, you can still do uplift outside of the product. For example, the classic, the classic, classic example that um, e-commerce have done extremely well over the years is the abandoned car. How many times mm -hmm. you haven't left some items in your car or Amazon is a great one. You might have looked at a few items, decided to put them in your wish list, and then they notch you with inspiration to come yeah. back and buy it. 
mm. the product can't do that because you're already out of the product. So what is the role of growth marketing? I think it's aligning with product into those critical moments in the journey. That could be the aha moment on value, the conversion to pay, the retention and expansion, and doing things outside of the product based on product behavior that will bring people back to finish the action that you intended them to do, or you will bring value to them. Yeah. Um, so it's a, I think it's an important role. Companies that do it well, they see a lot of lifting. So that's one side. And I think the second side is um, it helps a lot when growth marketing is fully aligned with product on what users activate faster in the product. Meaning, can we acquire more users that have the right profile and intent to activate in the product? Mm -hmm. And I think the key thing is here, activation. Can we bring more signups that are more ready and educated to activate in the product? And that is through inspiration. So kind of inspire users to say, oh, I didn't know that I can do X with Y. And then I go and do it in the product. So an example, um, Grammarly that, um, does this really well. I think they, I think if you just type how to use a word in English, for example, um, aha, how do you spell something? Mm -hmm. They have they have a CM around that. So they might catch you and say, with Grammarly, you can you could solve this problem. So yeah. you will know how to spell it. Or Canva, yeah. that's a really good a good way to do this. So Canva has gazillion um, pages on key things that you could do in Canva. So for example, a Christmas card. And they might have a landing pages full of templates with Christmas cards. So things that people, normal people might search for not just social influencers or anything things that normal people might search for that you could use canva for so that's the beauty of growth marketing you can tap intent into a sign up flow to increase the convert activation in the product what you just said it might sound to a lot of people like something product marketing should be doing and product marketing marketers should be doing. Do you see yourself a difference between those two or is growth marketing for you more just a framework to use, whether you are a growth marketer or a product marketer? That's a really nice way to describe it. I, I think it's a collaboration effort. I am not a believer of marketing teams doing things alone. Yeah, I think no. everything needs the collaboration of everyone. So. Yes, growth marketing can have a framework or a hypothesis for an experiment that said, let's take the example that we said before, we want to bring more signups with intention to activate. Um, and the hypothesis is like, hey, we start creating templates with a specific intent keywords and capture that SEO traffic that might activate better. Um, we might win or we might increase the, the activation rate, for example, right? That can be your hypothesis. But guess what? In that experiment, you might want to have product marketing involved in that, like what keywords, what users are searching for, what would be the things that motivate users to get and activate the product. So there might be some research done in there. You can tap into your community team, what users are doing with mm. the product outside and speaking about it in the community, right? On Twitter or Discord or whatever that your users are. So it's a collaboration theme. And I, I'm a fan of, you describe it really well, having a framework, a hypothesis, and then getting multiple teams in a room and say, let's see if we can crack this code and, yeah. and prove something. Um, like we say in Figma, nothing great is made alone. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. I love, I love that. It. That's yes. really good. 
Okay, so, well, obviously this next question is pretty good flow from here. So what do you think then are the biggest opportunities for growth marketing to support product-led growth? I would start with um, the alignment with product and what are the key metrics. So yep. understanding what we mentioned before, what do we truly care as a company in the journey of a user? And that will be things like sign up with the right profile or intent, the activation of those, so the ratio of activation of those, and the number of weekly active users or monthly active users, depending on how you measure it. Those things are critical. And then understanding the conversion to pay tiers, sell serve or through sales, and then the expansion of those. So things like retention churn, um, and then upgrade or expansion of those um, accounts or users within teams if, you, if your tool is, is a team tool um, like Figma is. So, so first of alignment. So you want to have the same metrics, same goals, same targets. Mm. You don't want to have different things. Um, the second big opportunity will be focus on one or two that truly, you truly want to move the needle. So rather than trying to boil the ocean and trying to do all of them, Pick the one that you think is going to bring more impact um, to the org. Normally, that is something around activation or intention to buy. I, I love the activation one because it it leads to revenue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the aha moment and the activation moment. The more you have of those, the more you're going to get then revenue down the down the, the funnel, right? Um, or better conversion down the funnel. So that would be the second biggest opportunity that I've seen recently. And then. Um, I think the third one I would layer as an opportunity when aligning with product is having teams dedicated to each metric. So some mistakes that I've done before is trying to do too many metrics with one team mm -hmm. and it gets too thin. You don't really get to go deep into exhausting an experiment or a hypothesis. Could we get a team dedicated to activation, for example? And that would be, um, you can have a growth marketeer, and a, a PM, maybe a PM leading a um, growth marketeer, um, obviously your engineers, um, someone from community, uh, even product marketing can be there. And then run experiments in and out of the product to activate users. I think when, when those things are combined, so product and growth marketing, and um, there is a focus on one metric at a time, I think that's when magic happens. And at Figma, we have output and input metrics. So activation, for example, is the output, but the input will be that our first-time users share something with the second-generation users. So the sharing is really important at Figma, as similar to other tools like Asana, or mm -hmm. um, where you create something and then you share it. And when the invited person comes back and collaborate, that's the aha moment. So we focus a lot on activating the first generation user to say, hey, now you go and share and activate other users so we can so you can see the true value of Figma collaborating online. So there's a lot around how do we get people to share. Um, so there's a whole team focusing right now on that. Do you see, um, for, we, for, for a lot of our clients, we see exactly that danger of um, setting too many metrics at a time and trying to move all those at the same time. So would you recommend always just picking one thing and do one thing at a time, do it well and experiment and see, and then moving forward? Yes, I think so. At least have the framework and the methodology to run experiments and have one or two wins on that 
yeah. side. And once you have have one or two wins, then move to the next metric. Yeah. But so you have to patience align is, as a company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So patience is uh, your virtue here as well. <laughs> you kind of <laughs> don't want it to meet, give give me everything right right away. We're not very okay. good with patience. No, we're not. We want everything now. I was gonna build on what Seiya just said. Um, I think more than passion is persistency. So mm. you need to realize that eight out of ten experiments might fail. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So you you your winning ratio is not going to be too high. So you need to have a sponsorship from leadership that you can run enough experiments to exhaust the hypotheses. So you're not going to yeah. nail it in the first experiment. So I, I've seen a lot of companies that leadership gets really. Um, impatient on yeah. your point on why is this not working because we've been three months running four experiments and then we're just giving up so well let's change let's change the strategy entirely i've seen that and i don't think that's a good thing so yeah. you need to have the, the sponsorship to say let's exhaust the the hypothesis and then we move on to another hypothesis now it's time for the ad our producers forced us to put in This podcast is brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B, helping B2B SaaS companies grow sustainably through marketing. Sounds jargony, but if you head over to advancedb2b.com slash TGH, you get a free marketing assessment and get some new ideas for your marketing right away. So that's advancedb2b.com slash TGH for more info. And now back to the episode. So you just went through some of the big opportunities for growth marketing. Um, I I am assuming that there are some challenges as well, or maybe some bottlenecks that you see um, companies do in this. Um, well, do you? <laughs> well, probably the internal selling or buying is probably one yeah. challenge for the experience. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Sorry, I responded a, on, on your behalf. That's a, really, that's a really important one. So alignment, I think we mentioned alignment. That could be mm. a challenge. Um, alignment on the metrics, alignment with the product. So making sure that you can um, align with your um, chief product officer or VP of product. Um, and then a sponsorship. So making sure that you have the sponsorship from executives that say, yes, we're going to put resources and we're going to let them run experiments until you know we get good at it. And I think beyond that, and that is a that is a tough one. You're probably going to spend eighty percent of your effort there. Mm. But let's say you're lucky enough that you have an environment where those two are solved. Um, I think the third one will be data and operationalizing the data. So the data will come into two shapes. One is having the right data to craft your hypothesis. Mm. So. Great experiments have some data indicators that that might be the case. Um, I really suggest you have a data scientist team or a data team that can help you build proper hypothesis frameworks through data. Um, otherwise, you're going to get all the biases and probably get, get it wrong. So that's number one. I think the second um, side of the data is especially for growth marketing, because for product is easier. Um, actually, it's equally the same. You need to have data in the product so you can see that you did a change in the product and then a behavioral change happened. So, you know, we, we changed this UI element here and then the output was successful. So the same team that's doing your hypothesis framework for um, on the data side, it should do, do the reporting on did that truly happen. And then you might, might require a bunch of tools like 
um, you know, to track events on the product, to visualize those events and whatnot. There's plenty out there. And then the third component is for growth marketing, which is one of the biggest challenges that I face personally in both Unity, Agolia was up to Unity and um, Figma, we, we have some of that too, is how do I make seamless the product data flowing into my marketing channels? That's a, that's a mm. big one. So the, the most obvious one is email. So can I have my product telemetry, not in batches, in real time, going into my email so I can run an experiment fast enough? I think that's a big, that's a big challenge. So um, what do you think, in your opinion, how can marketing help user activation? What are the key elements? That's a great point. And uh, as I mentioned, I think it's one of the primary metrics that you should focus on. Um, I think the first thing I would do is, like I mentioned, having an alignment with product on what is the definition of activation. Um, I've seen companies where product knows really well, but it's not really well documented. So product might know that is something in particular, but the rest of the teams don't truly understand it. So mm. have alignment, sit down with the product team, truly understand what the activation is, uh, activate the data behind that activation. So how are we measuring that? What is the data? What, what tables on your customer data platform? All that sort of stuff. So for example, at Figma, we have activation is when a user create a file and then share it and the invited person comes back and collaborates. So mm -hmm. what kind of data do we want to know? We know that there was a file created, maybe it has a specific number of components, maybe the file was shared and the second generation came back and collaborated, put a comment, did something in the file. Um, so you want to understand, okay, now I know what the activation is. Um, and then I want to understand the data behind the activation. And not only the data, I want to understand the underlying motivations of the activation. So now that I know that <clears throat> activating is that sharing and collaborating, what motivates someone to share or to get feedback, to get input, um, to show the creation, you name it, right? Um, and then you want to understand what are the indicators that drive into that pre I'm going to share moment. So the aha moment and then come back. And those indicators might be, I have a number of components. I use a specific features in my product. There's going to be some indicators that the majority of users, when they get into a point that they do X, then they go on and achieve the aha moment. And once you know that, I think um, your role is to sit down with product and craft the hypothesis into, well, okay, for example, a Figma, if sharing is a critical aha moment, how can I make users that have achieved X, Y, Z in the product already, but haven't shared in next days, share with someone? So then you can start crafting an experiment. And an experiment can be, well, I'm going to take the users that achieve X, Y, Z, might be created a file, have it, um, X number of components. I'm going to send them a notch in the product. So I'm aligned with product and outside of the product to share with a specific people that we might know are in their teams. So that will make it easier, right? Yeah. Say I created a file, something really beautiful design, hasn't shared with Rita and say, well, say, hey, great creation. Glad you made it here. Why don't you share with Thanks. Rita? And then in the email says like, share with Rita. And then you click on that email mm -hmm. and say, great, I'm going to share it with her. Sometimes you growth marketing, marketing can help articulate the underlying value of sharing. So that might be good. Um, mm -hmm. I get an email and you tell me, 
did you know that if you're sharing, you're more likely to complete your project? So coming back to your point, what what can you do to start with crafting that activation? Um, think about that at a moment, define it with data, understand the underlying motivations on why someone will get into that moment, and then craft some hypothesis with your product team on things outside of the product and in the product that can motivate people to complete that step. Hmm. What are you? Th what do you think are the best ways to find those? points out and uh for example marketers uh where should they look for to understand what are the kind of the pre-aha moments and the aha moments and the triggers what are the best ways to do that in your opinion uh, i've seen it done really well with product um mapping the journey of the user so normally um you want to talk to users that's number one um, mm -hmm. to truly understand what motivates them what makes them see the value normally any good Product team might have done that already. If not, encourage you to sit down with your team and say, hey, well, let's craft the journey. And then use data to validate some of those hypotheses. Like, hey, um, again, go back to um, a Unity, for example. I'm going to give another example. A Unity, we knew that an activation moment was when I created my first um, little game from a template. Unity was a way more complex tool. It required you to learn coding, but similar. It's a free yeah. tool. You download it, then you're starting the product. and at the beginning, it was really overwhelming, but we did learn that if you created a little game and share it, you'd be more likely to stay. Mm -hmm. um, so that creating and sharing that little micro game, it was an important point. So there was a data validation behind that. Like, so, hey, every time you create something little and share it, even with your own network, you might incentivize the users to stay and come back and create a second thing, right? So I think the, the, the data is not only the interviewing the users, mapping those journeys as with your experts in the product, and then validating with data. And that takes time. That doesn't happen in a week yeah. or two weeks or a month. It's going to take you months to craft that, that journey. But once you know, then you might know the steps where are important for the user success. And then you might start understanding the drop-offs. So, okay, well, I have a, we have a bunch of people that don't do X. Um, yeah. Right? Um, one word that keeps coming up in your answers is data. Data. <laughs> so obviously data has a, has a big role in all of that user activation process that you just described. Um, but can you talk a little bit more detail about exactly the role of data has in that process? Um, the data data right it's like a never-ending never topic mm. we can we can do an entire episode on this yes, i think so i think so maybe not with me because i'm not the best um <laughs> data tech guy but um I, th I think we mentioned already a couple so um understanding the behavioral steps i think that's one that comes to mind that have played an important role in the companies i work um at and the second thing will be operationalizing that data, meaning if you know what are those behavioral moments in time, you want to then have the data ready into your marketing system or your product to do product notches, to, mm. um, you know, the in-product notifications or do outside of the product um, behaviorally trigger notifications. So that could be through email. Some companies, Figma, for example, we do have 
um, the user, when he's logged in, you won't see the website. So it's harder to use other channels like chat, for example. I've seen other companies using chat a lot to bring people back to the product. So you might um, not be in the product, but you read a blog and then we nudge you because you know you haven't completed something. So the chat could pop up and say, hey, like, and then bring you back into the product. Um, so I think operationalizing that data for marketing is being painful um, to me. And I think it has a really important role if you get it get it right. So and then reporting. I think the third one we I think we already mentioned understanding if something works or, or don't. Um, that's critically important and it's painful too. So the example is I had a behaviorally triggered email because um, user didn't complete this step. For example, the sharing example of Figma. I send them a notch on an email to share with an ex person. When they click on the email and they came back to the product, how do I associate that behavior with the email? So you need a time stamp. You need to understand that that user came back, clicked in the click, came into the session, and did the action within that session or whatnot. So um, that reporting takes heavy lifting too. And, um, mm -hmm. But I think it's really important that companies get it right. Um, yeah, mm. I think what what is clear from your answers is that you can do growth marketing and you can do product led growth without data. And that's the message what I kind of hope that everybody would follow or every marketer in SaaS business would would follow. Data is so important and it's really difficult to do it. Um, to get the growth right if you if you're completely blind to what's happening in your so product. no guessing guessing yeah. is not yeah. allowed or it's, it's allowed but it doesn't really take you anywhere unfortunately we see that quite often still yes. but we're we we're do. working on it mm. so <laughs> yeah. um, but if you, if you want to be a, like a data empire builder so and kind of do great things um we know that it's a super hard or kind of can be a nightmare to start building any kind of um, triggered comms or or things like that. Uh, but um, what are your recommendations? How should one start actually dealing with those? You know, it's a bit the chicken and the egg. Um, and I, we, we mentioned before, it's similar to the um, alignment issue that we mentioned before on metrics. But what do we care about? How do we measure it? Um, I think data, it requires also sponsorship from leadership because you're going to have to do some investment in in the foundational technology layer and yeah. tools and people and whatnot um so i think and it's really similar to the problem that classic marketeers on b2b or your traditional b2b funnels or um other marketeers in e-commerce and whatnot are facing which is how do i um tell that the, this metric went up because of XYZ efforts. That's the holy grail of a marketer, right? Can I justify mm -hmm. that I did a campaign or an email or a social campaign and that metric moved? Yeah. <laughs> because you know, my, my job might be on the line, might yeah. not, but um, that, that's the secret, <laughs> the, 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 whole, the holy grail of this is of this kind of attribution, sourcing, understanding the correlation between things. Um, so I think this is not different than anyone. I mean, mm -hmm. Probably ones that you know very well is the classic lead, lead to cash. Did yeah. that lead bring me any pipeline? Well, that's, we've been dealing with that for many years, marketeers, right? Yeah. Um, here's not any different. Um, I think um, you need to invest in the underlying structure of um, you want to have a CDP 
a customer data platform, you want to have that integrated, not in daily batches, but as real time as possible with your marketing tools, like emails and whatnot. And you want to have a back and forth of the email behavior into your CDP or Snowflake, Redshift, whatever you use to understand that that campaign, that theme trigger this action behavior. So say you ask, what, what do you start if you don't My have data, <laughs> data empire, how do I start building it? Exactly. So <laughs> having said that, get a sponsorship from your executives to invest in that. If, if you don't get it, how do you start to prove that you should invest in that? Because that's the chicken and the egg. Mm -hmm. um, I would start um, maybe starting simple. So any company might have some sort of um, data warehouse with the data side. Get really close to your data engineers. Make good friends with them. Take them for lunch, build a relationship, <laughs> and say, "Hey, I need a couple of data tables um, to run an experiment." And then the data... Yeah, the first experiment can be exported manually. At Unity, we didn't have a lot of the data platforms in place, and we did a lot of stuff at the beginning to justify the investment manually. So I would get close to the, you know, the data warehouse engineering guy and say, like, "Hey." Can I get this sort of data? Where does it leave? They will create a table for me, very easy. Export the data manually, run one experiment, and then prove, oh my God, this worked. And do it a couple of more times, totally manual. Sometimes manual stuff has the risk of behaviorally, the behavior changing. For example, you might want to send an ad to someone to convert online to a pay tier, and that someone might have converted in that hour that you export the data and send the email and <laughs> um, so it has its risk but um it doesn't mean that you cannot start somehow and um and then prove that that hypothesis can be done and then build from there so then go back and say well we do think this experiment work um and then you can do a, a easy calculation like if we keep running this for the whole year this might mean this in activations and this in conversion and then put some money behind it. Let's build the pipe, the data pipeline to automate that. Um, so I think to summarize, say, uh, get really good friends with the data engineers, <laughs> do some experiments, um, and then come back and um, validate some hypotheses and then see if you can start building the data pipes. Um, that is if you don't have executive sponsorship. Um, most days, most of the VPs are pretty understanding of these or even the sea level so i would doubt if you couldn't get mm -hmm. but maybe some companies struggle with this so start small i think that would be my yeah, so you don't have to have like any um automation tool or anything like that but necessarily so manual work i think when you mature then there's tools out there that you can then automate the whole thing so if if you have the a bit of budget to invest, I will look at things like making sure that you have segment, more companies have them. Census is a great tool to move data from segment to things like Marketo or your HubSpot or whatever marketing automation you, you have. There's actually tools out there like Autopilot app that they have already built in customer data platform. So you literally sync the data from your Redshift, Snowflake, whatever, Google Cloud, uh, into the autopilot and it will be in real time actionable. So it's not in batches, um, meaning marketeers could slice and dice that data the way they want and create experiments from there. Um, so I think that's, that's the future. The future is um, applications like autopilot. Um, mm -hmm. But 
What are your best tips to become best friends with data engineers? Do you Please. do you bribe them with food? <laughs> Coke. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's one. That's one definitely works. Um, uh, just I think in, um, software engineers are pretty straightforward. Like tell them what you want to do and give them a challenge. Um, I think if you get them engaged from the beginning and say, hey, I have this hypothesis, I want to solve this problem. And I think I need your help to solve this challenge. Um, normally, engineers or developers are pre-problem-solving um, mentality. So if it's interesting enough, they will jump and help you. Um, yeah. That, that's been my experience. So yes, let's start with food and then, <laughs> um, or coffee, whatever they like, and then um, build a relationship and then give them a challenge. And, a challenge that they can see the value out of it. Um, so having worked in developer-centric companies like Unity or Golia, um, I know that engineers don't like marketing fluff. So mm -hmm. I think they're more inclined to say, okay, well, that, I, see the, I, I see the value on that. If we use this data point and then send a match to the user to learn something about mm -hmm. why they should do something, um, that might be interesting. Mm -hmm. But that the the what you just said about uh, them liking a challenge, I think that's true. I mean, we don't have data engineers per se in advance, but we have our own technology team, and they are a gift from heaven because it's just whatever technological issue, <laughs> problem we have, they are incredible solving them. So take care of your technology team. Definitely, <laughs> pamper them. But Jesus, do you think that kind of, you mentioned earlier about the talking to your um, users and all that, wouldn't that be a one starting point as well? So that you just kind of grab the phone and, you know, contact your users and ask them questions and off you go. Yeah, I suggest any, any marketeer, this is not just growth marketeer, should talk to your users and customers. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fundamental thing. You need to understand them. So, um, I suggest you jump into calls with them. You find friends or in your network that might be a customer or might be a user and understand the motivation, how they use things, what triggers them. Get close to your support teams. Any any customer facing team in your company has a lot of the, this information already. Get close to your sales team if you're a sales driven company. Let them sit in calls, let you sit in calls get close to the user and if you're a user-centric company like unity or figma um, get close to your community team participate in forums so go and spend time in forums um, uh, or where the users are outside of your um, um, ecosystem and then talk to support teams too to understand what are people complaining what keeps people up at night what are the, the challenges i think the combination of those three might give you a really head start. And then um, if you have a research team or a product marketing team, um, just make sure that you align with them to understand those um, drop-offs or aha moments and better. Mm, collaboration between different departments. 100%. Yep. Yeah, well, I actually wanted to kind of the final question is that where do you actually expect that all this, all this product-led growth and data will take us in future? What's the utopia is going to be like for marketers? I for marketers, yeah. yes. Not for everyone, just for us. That's a really interesting question. I think um, there's two things that 
are top of mind. One is AI and machine learning is incredibly um, smart. Yes. I was talking to some vendors and tools and they literally crafting even messaging. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have seen this. Some tools out there that can write copy for SEO and they do it pretty, pretty, actually pretty well. Um, some things that they can write copy for emails and you wouldn't tell that it's a AI writing emails. Um, I think at some point the AI might craft what to do in the product. Mm -hmm. So, so give you enough meaning. It will minimize the number of hypotheses that you might have to make. It will give you really good understanding of where to look. I mean, look at cars. These yeah. Teslas yeah. drive themselves. It's pretty incredible. It's it's nuts. They drive themselves. <laughs> they park themselves better than a human. So look at it. That's going to apply to most of the areas in in technology. So AI at some point might tell you, you know, you you this journey it's not good you need to change these two things so i think that's going to facilitate a lot meaning mm. a lot of the back and forth that we do and when you think about that it seems ridiculous yeah to find the data come with a hypothesis do a bunch of changes in the product and email that takes like a lot of human effort maybe all of that gets reduced to nothing in a few years because ai is helping there mm. now there is the second thing that's top of my mind is the whole um, um, security and data uh, restrictions. So things are getting tougher. Mm -hmm. I think it could turn the other way around where users don't want to know what you do in the product. And all is going to be anonymized and it's going to be tougher. I mean, even anonymized, you can change things, but um, that's I, something that's going to happen most likely, meaning... Mm -hmm. Only anonymous data. I mean, you have guys have seen. I think Google um, Analytics has been banned in the in Europe. Yeah, and it's Australia. Uh, yeah. Yes. That's crazy. So. Yeah. Is that gonna be that way in apps where users say don't? I mean, you already can say don't track me in the app, but um, is that gonna be the new norm where no one gets tracked? So, product teams have no behavioral data yeah. whatsoever. Or are we gonna be able to have some data anonymous? Is the AI going to emulate user behavior? So you know how user data, but the AI will simulate. I've seen companies simulating data to a degree that is actually more accurate than the real data. I think interesting. Things, yeah. I think that's the future. The future is going to be around how much we can fit AI models and to automate all of this stuff, or and um, what is the role of um, security and privacy around that data. So there's like different paths. That, the future can go in but mm. that's the way i'm thinking about it. so so humans are going to be probably more centering to coming with a great idea so like mm -hmm. what is what the product should problem should solve for and um, what is the experience i want my users to have right yeah uh, and then all these little painful things that we do and collecting <laughs> data and emails maybe that'll be all automated <laughs> there's a uh, say i asked you about the utopia but you kind of gave us both utopia yeah. and dystopia oh, <laughs> if we can't see anything in the end it's like going backwards in in marketing if you think about you know what do you mean couple, backwards couple of 10 like 10 years back when we, we couldn't see anything we couldn't well the visibility wasn't really the same as it is at the moment so we kind of had to guess and kind of um assume things more than just based it on data mm -hmm. data but i'm glad yeah. Jesus, that you took you mentioned ai because um 
I can't wait. I hope it comes faster than slower because uh, I am a content marketer and I am starting to see some really good AI applications uh, creating content and or it actually even more for like content ideation. And those blow my mind and I can't wait to have them in like day to day to use. <laughs> Excellent. So we only have the last fast five ahead of us. So this is um, uh, the fast five question is something that this podcast has had from the very beginning. So uh, with every uh, guest, we ask five questions. It's kind of like a lightning. It's it's supposed to be a lightning round questions. Uh, just we're going to ask you five things and just name whatever pops into your head. Um, does that sound good to you? You're ready to go? Let's do it. Okay. Number one, books you are currently reading. Um, I just got a book from Ellie Schwartz on product-led SEO. Um, I just started reading. I haven't finished it. Thank you, Ellie. Um, <laughs> the second one that I'm reading in parallel is Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. Um, mm -hmm. It's all about um, how to build relationships. So. Brilliant. Um, a SaaS company you love and why? Ooh. Stripe. I recently implemented Stripe in my um, photography website. I do photography on the side for fun. And it was the seamless. It was incredible. No code implementation. It took me literally 15 minutes to create an account, implement a Stripe for payments, and then have an e-commerce store up and running. It was remarkable. So I think big fan of Stripe. Um, I know the guys there. So <laughs> love, love, love the tool, love what they're doing. Free advertising yes. for Stripe there. <laughs> Favorite place to read about growth marketing? Oh, so um, I haven't read a lot about growth marketing lately, but I've been following a lot of the OpenView partners on the PLG. I think they have a great reports. They aggregate data really well. Um, so I go there a lot lately, yeah. Juicy one. Most important metric? Of course, I have to say activation. <laughs> of course. How about the last one? Best piece of advice for fellow SaaS growth leaders? Don't be afraid of failing and don't be afraid of trying new things. Um, even if you fail and you got something wrong, don't worry about it. Like, keep moving forward. I think those lessons are critical in your career. Fail fast, learn fast, and then follow your instincts. I think I normally trust my gut instincts and go where. I think I should go. No, I didn't. I don't trust much my head when I'm debating <laughs> a, a decision. Um, so yeah, that's that will be my advice. All right, excellent, Jesus. Thank you so much for coming. We are super, super glad that you came and and thankful for your time. Thank yeah, you. thank you, thank you both. And that's it. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And in fact, we would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so tell us what you thought. Anything we missed, anything you'd like us to revisit. Let's keep the conversation going on on Twitter at SaaS Growth Hub or on LinkedIn at the SaaS Growth Hub podcast. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, make sure you subscribe to Growth Hub on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or SoundCloud. Until next time, cheers! People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are.